Hello, everybody. Welcome to the No Breaking Podcast. I have a very talented author sat with me today here at the compound. Uh, Kiwi is on her best behavior. But uh, it's a real pleasure to introduce to you everyone, Ryan Zamalan. Thank you so much for having me, James. No, Ryan, thank you so much for letting me be the first person to suggest that your name was like a fish. <laughs> I've heard it pronounced every single way and heard every single reference people could think of, and that was the first time Well, look, for that one. so It's great, and with us both being in our, in our early 20s, I mean, there's obviously been not many, many years of that, so it's good that I was able to bring that up. <laughs> But, uh, Ryan, so before we do what I generally like to do is tell us how you got into this crazy business, the automotive industry, let's hook up, firstly, the new book that you're promoting. Yeah. Slow, Car, Fast. Yeah. So I know that you're going to have a reading that will go happen this weekend, and unfortunately, it'll be this episode will go out post that. Okay. But why don't you give uh, the listeners some background on the book itself and what brought you to, to be this position to be the creator of this work of art? I'm sure that most people listening to this uh, hear Slow Car Fast and immediately know where it comes from. But for people who might not know, it's uh, uh, an old adage from the car world that it's better to drive a slow car fast than it is to drive a fast car slow. And I really think um, I'm a millennial on the older end, but it still counts. And our generation, our approach to cars is, I think, very much guided by that principle um, in a lot of different ways. In in the ways that um, it's not necessarily the fastest car is the best car. And um, also a lot of like do it yourself. So like if you take, if you can only afford a small, a small, uh, a slow car and that's what's attainable to you and you either decide to make it fast or you just want to drive the hell out of it. Like those are all things that are celebrated in ways that they weren't before. And so I wanted to chronicle this period in time where car culture is really changing very rapidly um, I think a lot uh, has a lot to do with the influence of millennials coming into their own with buying power um, and influence and also the rise of social media, the internet, YouTube. I wanted to document how all of these things are contributing to uh, a rapid shift in car culture. And um, I think Slow Car Fast best embodies um, how that's happening. Yeah, and so what uh, to to expand a little bit on that? You said as we talked before the podcast, we started recording. You said there was a couple of trends or threads that we were trying to bring together in this. So do you want to sort of elaborate a little more on those? Sure. Yeah, I think um, I think the way that the the internet has allowed us to learn anything about any car that's mm-hmm. ever existed um, has created a, um, a a much more knowledgeable fan base, and so there's much more appreciation for. Um, all models across the board where, um, you know, for a long time, if you were a Porsche guy, you were just a Porsche guy or BMW or Mustang or Camaro or whatever. Um, and I think the, those kind of barriers have come down a little bit and that kind of hierarchy has come down a bit too. Like it's, there's, there's a lot less, I don't want to use the word snobbery, but that's kind of what it is. And, um, and I think what that's led to is especially in the U.S. lately, like we're moving away from the zero to sixty speed is the best metric and and way to measure like the value of overall performance of a car, and toward like a more holistic overall uh, performance level, like what's its lap time, um, as opposed to what's its zero to sixty time. And I think 
um, the way that we look at Nurburgring times and stack them against each other and measure cars against each other based on those now, or whatever, VIR or Laguna Seca or whatever track you want. Um, but I think that's become the defining metric for how you, how you measure one car against another or how you stack its performance against its peers. Um, and I think we're starting to see that manifest in the kind of cars that automakers are putting out now. Like they're putting a focus on handling, um, chassis stiffness, um, overall balance straight from the factory. Um, I think the core the mid engine Corvette that we're seeing like is a perfect encapsulation of that. But also one of the, the other reason that's happening is zero to 60 is almost nearly irrelevant because everything is so incredibly fast. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> let's be honest here. If I, when I grew up as a youngster and I would look at the performance car magazines and it'd be like that, that latest sports cars come out 300 plus horsepower. Yeah. That is a fast car. Yeah. Now, if I'm looking at a 300 plus horsepower, that is a family sedan. So that is a Toyota Camry. That is a Honda Accord. They, these are just regular numbers now. Right. And then I guess you could also say like, what's a 0 to 60 times pretty irrelevant because I mean, all the cars go much faster than 0 to 60 and it'll probably get you 0 to 100 very quickly. And that's obviously speeds that you can't go on the roads anyway. Right. So. And, um, like there's there's just not that much more room to go mm -hmm. on zero to sixty. Like, I mean, what the latest what is it the electric EV hyper mega cars now? It's two seconds. Yeah. I mean, one point nine seconds to sixty. To yeah. Seconds. How? how <laughs> I mean, as I, well, someone I was listening to recently was like, yeah, if you drive that car so fast, it physically hurts if you keep launching it at that right. speed. That's so so maybe you push it zero to a hundred, or I, I I always liked the zero to 100 back to zero yeah. test. I yeah. think that's interesting. Um, but it still doesn't take handling and things like that into account. And, and there's just, there's just more, there's just more to play with and more to do when you're talking about an overall lap time, there's more to measure. Um, you just have to consider so many other things. Um, and I think that's what that's as we are becoming more knowledgeable about cars across the board, like that's what people are into. How does the thing perform overall compared to other things out there yeah because i mean as well i mean cars are all i mean all, let's bite the bullet here most cars that are being manufactured to this day that are coming out of the factory are pretty amazing yeah i mean they're all pretty comfortable to ride they're all pretty safe they've all probably got air conditioning which is nice um they're probably more efficient than they used to be so all in all i mean i mean the, what's the most complaints that people have oh it took me like seven seconds for my iphone to like connect to the car. right Oh, it was like the end, after the end of the drive, I was at the end of my block before it connected. I mean, that's really a struggle to find. That is like a huge issue. Yeah, and so that's an interesting point too because you know it's it's kind of a it's kind of a cliche to say now, but like there are no bad cars anymore. Like there's nothing that's really gonna like leave you stranded yeah. on, on the way home from the dealership. Yeah. Um, but I think what that's kind of led to is like young people are so used to dealing with. Um, like smartphones that are basically featureless mm -hmm. and they don't have buttons and like our, our lives are wrapped up in those virtual worlds. Um, they want experiences. And so you see that in like music festivals or lots of other things like the vacations they take are like adventure focused a lot of times. Mm -hmm. um, and so when they go looking for cars, they want something that's going to give them like an emotional story or feedback or some response or something like that. And so that has, I think a lot of that, uh, has contributed. There's a lot of things contributing, but that's contributed to um, like this Radwood era 
style appreciation where like we're looking for things from the past that even before we were born that like are going to give us some feedback, like some sensation mm -hmm. that we're not getting in other yeah. areas of our lives. Um, a and shout out to those guys from the Driving Wild Awesome podcast as well. Love the best. Guys. Love the guys. The best. And the Radwood, the Radwood thing is such a huge movement. I spent a lot of time talking about it in the book because I think you can't understate what they were able to, or you can't overstate what they were able to capture. And um, now it's like on a worldwide takeover. Yeah. I mean, England, Japan. Yeah. Like, no, it's incredible. And others too. Like, I think a Grid Life does a fantastic yeah, job. Yeah, and that, what too. this weekend, I think they're at, uh, in Colorado, would pipe mm -hmm. some packs, PK, and went there. So yeah, it's incredible. So yeah, and but the internet has made all that possible, mm -hmm. right? Like it's not like the internet like made us all just like suck ourselves into our phones and computers all day long and like never look at cars again. Like it just enabled us to talk about the different ways we like them, the different ways we like to experience them and find each other and make events like Grid Life, like Radwood possible mm -hmm. because those were like very much spread around by by the internet, but they're about getting out and dressing up and talking Having to fun. people and camping and seeing live music and like the cars are there too and they're a huge part of it but like if you're not into cars you can go and have a great time and not even worry about the castle yeah yeah and that's the other part of it is like we're, as a culture it's becoming much more welcoming mm -hmm. to to people um uh and much more attainable to like show up and have a good time because like it's not it's not just sit and stand to point at the cars like there's other things to do yeah too. i mean uh, uh, something that will i will discuss it and then this is a little bit unobtainable um Lufka court for example the yeah. most recent show no good example incredible but i mean obviously there's only a certain number of tickets available for it i know that they would have loved to have sold more but there was very much a cap from universal the number of attendees but that was an incredible show i mean there was a selection of cars there that were the, really were the focal point, and then there was obviously the guest cars, but the idea of how they were to bring that together in such a unique location and have a great app that went along with it that explained the background and the history of all the cars if you wanted to look at them and find it all out. I mean, it was a really well put together program. But the rise of the air-cooled Porsche thing is also very much like fueled by the internet because it was like a, one of these very niche mm -hmm. things, um, and it's not niche now. Now it's completely mainstream. But and Very, very expensive. Yeah, but at the at the time... That like when it started to turn, you know, that's very much born out of like internet culture, like appreciation for that stuff. And then, uh, posting more about it and seeing value start to go up a little bit on bring a trailer. And mm -hmm. then like, it just caught like wildfire. I think Instagram had a lot to do with that too. And has a lot to do with everything, every trend that whatever is going on in car culture, like Instagram is like, like you can't, again, you can't overstate the importance of, of like catching fire on Instagram and yeah, so speaking of that, I mean, I will say the the price of cars in particular for what I'd consider maybe our similar generations of cars and vehicles coming through. I mean, the price of those, it's, it's incredible how those prices are increasing. And then we're also seeing at the other end the drop-off of the prices where they're sort of going downhill, mm -hmm. where cars are obviously getting much rarer and much well, used to be would consider to be sought after. I mean, there's no... The, those values are dropping because of the demographic shift in the market. Like what Like what kind of stuff are you thinking of? So I'm thinking anything pre-50s. Yeah. Everything pre-50s. I mean, I've I, look, I'll be very honest. Pebble Beach, incredible, amazing. I love looking at the cars. It's fantastic. Would I ever want to own one of those? Probably not. From anything from 50s back, not really for me. It's not really my, even if I had my billions and billions of podcasting dollars to spend on it, it's not really my demographic. It's sort yeah. of, I'm missing that market. But those cars used to be the ones that would be all the ones coming up to auctions and so forth. But 
I mean, those values are, are sort of going the opposite way to what we're seeing, for example, the BMW M3. Yeah. E30. Well, it's it's a good point. And I, I've spent a lot of time on the E30 M3 also because I think it's it's a perfect illustration of, of you know, how that happened yeah. and, and what's happening right now. But it's not anywhere near the levels of, like, the, the Concourse stuff of you're course. talking about. Yeah. And I think, like, that stuff will always be special because it's just it's just special i think um the stuff that was like more mass produced and like it was special because it was i don't know like well look let's take the the bmw m3 for example yeah um i while living in san francisco i put a note on someone's windscreen that i'd buy their m3 for fifteen thousand dollars i was looking at the time for a new car and then the guy got back in touch with me says yeah it's a fifty thousand mile car um, we could maybe work on something around that. And then the wife said no, because it didn't have the airbags. Mm-hmm. So obviously if I was looking to sell uh, BMW, I think it was like a 90. Uh, now, I mean, the price on that is, if, if, if we just keep it at the 50,000 miles they hadn't driven. I mean, that's like, what, $110,000? Yeah, yeah dollars car now. Yeah. So for me, I'd be like, well, that'd be great. Obviously, if I'd have had it, I wouldn't have, I would have been driven and everything, so the value would have been changed and whatnot. But I still think it's ludicrous when you compare some of the other cars that would go against it at that time. But that that one in particular is the standout. I mean, I myself, as I, I prefer like the the Mercedes, the one one ninety e, yeah, or the Urquacho. Um, and it's it's and happening. Then for me, and going on there on this side, I mean, I like the the Ford Escort, yeah, the Cosworth. I mean, that's for me. But then people like that awful. But I'm like. It just it doesn't matter if they're awful. Right. It's what you like. Right. I mean, when you get it, then you can be like, "That's truly enough. Terrible. I can't get parts for it, and this, that, the other." Right. I mean, and it's not happening to them on the same scale as the M3, but it is still happening. Yeah. And like people now look at it and know what they're looking at and know why. Yeah. It's important or special, and the values are going up, but not just not to the level of the M3, but like that whole era, like groupy rally inspired mm-hmm. stuff, mm-hmm. like it. It's it's just been so important to uh, where car culture is right now, and I think you're right. It is taking away from the other stuff. But like, you know, at the time that the pre-war stuff came out, there were only so many cars in the world, oh, and now there's there's a, there's a few more, a, a thousand levels of magnitude more, yeah. and so there's just gonna it's just gonna be spread across more. And the, that early stuff will always be special. The one of three stuff, the like the custom coach built stuff, like. It's always going to be special um, from the people that I talk to. They don't like, it's not like the market is just going to completely no, fall out. No, let's just say that. I mean, there's only, there's a significant one, but for example, I think the number of people who might be purchasing it, that market might be diminishing. Yeah. But then again, I think the people that have already purchased them are not looking to sell as yeah. well at the same time. But you, you have to, but you have to treat these things like art. Also, they are they're art. not, yeah, they are art, but they're not, they're not supposed to appreciate forever and ever and ever in perpetuity. Mm-hmm. And just go up and up and up and up. That's just not how things work. Like things fluctuate and they go you up and down. And, yeah, you hope they do. But like, <laughs> I mean, I, I guess if you bought an eight million dollar car and it goes down to four, like I, I'm supposed to feel bad for you. <laughs> I mean, you got to feel horrible. That's awful. Poor people. I mean, <laughs> oh, they, they bought their million dollar car. You're gonna have to like, fire two butlers yeah, out of ten. It's, it's awful. But then again, on the flip side of that, you've got these vehicles that, well, let's just say they're not quite as um, easy to work on, say, as cars are now. Yeah. There's obviously not um, as dedicated instructions on how these cars work from people that made those cars back in the day. Because, yeah. funnily enough, a car from the 1930s doesn't really have all those people around that the 1930s worked on it that much anymore. Yeah. So it's the idea of figuring out how 
you can keep these cars running and how to keep them making them work so people can see them and get exposed to them and this is the history of it all yeah which i think is it also comes in as we talked off before this podcast started about how you have um technology coming into play i mean aside from in the modern car production with ev technology everything else it's just the idea of how you have such devices to be able to do 3d scanning 3d printing now right. where it can make things you can test things out so much cheaper um while you've got these people that have the skill level to be able to bend metal and work on these things it's which is unhurt it's still incredible to me when they can see make the magic happen but being able to have that technology being able to have that those resources available to be able to do that still yeah i talked to some designers who said that stuff has like radically changed what they do like they can design uh they can draw stuff so much more quickly now and then um you know like 3d prototype it and not even the 3d prototype and they can do everything vr now as well yeah. which is even which is unfathomable when you think yeah. of it we, we just design it in vr and then i have my t- as i talk to our friends over at GAC, they said we have the team here in Newport Beach that does it, and then we send it back to the team in China, and then they work with the team in Europe, mm-hmm. and it means everything just happens within days as opposed to waiting on getting feedback from weeks and weeks. Mm-hmm. So it's incredible. Yeah, I talked to one of the designers at McLaren, and you know they only have a design staff of nine people, mm-hmm. and like at GM, nine people work on like a door handle. Less than nine people. That'd be like, <laughs> I think it's like forty people working on, on the interior of cars. Just one team. And if you look at like McLaren's, obviously a very low volume supercar maker. But you, if you look at their rollout and expansion in the last two, three, maybe four years, it's it's really remarkable. Mm-hmm. Like they are, they have really, really uh, ramped it up. Yeah, rapidly. And. So how with that many people do you continue to bring out something as regularly as they do? Like every three months they're doing some major update or new reveal or something like that. And I think a lot of that has to do with that. Like it's, uh, first of all, they're incredibly talented and they work stupid hours. Mm -hmm. Um, But technology has allowed them to do things so much more quickly and green light stuff. And it's not, it's uh, the way that he explained it to me was they're able to just get stuff to the testing phase much more quickly because you still have to test and you still have to clay model and mm-hmm. all that stuff. Like that stuff isn't going to go away, but you're just able to accelerate through the through the um, the 3D stuff so much quicker. Um, but yeah, you're right. Like that's that's really interesting, and it's gonna it's gonna affect everything. And I think it affects the supply chain, like how how quickly suppliers can get a part in, and so. And then obviously, you and I know with being in the industry, there's only like X amount of suppliers that right. make all the parts for everyone, right? And it's all shared. So the idea of if they can move everything to like everyone using the same sort of things, it makes it much. It drops that supply chain time down insignificantly quicker. Right. We're also seeing obviously the cost of those things drop significantly mm-hmm. i mean obviously there's all these talks of tariffs and things like that but the idea of getting parts around the world it's much much cheaper now than it used to be mm-hmm. um having access to them obviously here in the states you've got all the automotive facilities that are all very much centered say in the southeast here what you got nissan you've got uh mercedes-benz porsche uh i mean they're all down there and then you've got the pants every obviously everywhere else but I mean, it's all ha- having that all the facilities here where it's all so close to be able to make it all work and make it all happen is pretty impressive. Yeah. So I think the industry is is going to go through a lot of rapid change in the next ten years. I, I'm really curious to see what it's going to look like. Um, and that's not even mentioning the electric stuff or the autonomous stuff. Uh, I really don't touch it in the book. I think they're their own subjects. Um, electric, I think, will affect us in the near term a lot more than the autonomous stuff does. It feels like feels like automakers are pretty pretty over the like massive 
R&D budgets for it was taking for autonomous. And so I think that's pretty much going to stay where it is for like, like with, with improvements over the next 20 or 30 years or something like that until we get to the massive leaps. But electric, I think, will have a much more immediate effect on us. And that's stuff that we're going to have to figure out real quickly. Like, first of all, how does it affect performance cars? Um, because, like, there's just so much potential. There's so much potential to, like, absolutely steroid these things up really, really quickly. Um, but then also there's a lot, there's a huge environmental aspect. And then there's the other thing is where are you going to continue to get all these batteries from? Because like the, the lithium supplies like are going to become a huge issue at some point. Um, and I think over the next 10 years, that's the most interesting thing that I want to be following is like, how is the electric movement and change affecting everything like the way our cars drive, the kind of cars we buy, how they get made, um, all of that. Um, but like I said, I think that's its own issue, so I didn't even touch it in the book. <laughs> Let's go, look, it's just for your next book. It's, yeah, all, the, it's yeah. all the topic there. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, the idea, obviously, we've just seen most recently with on the electric scope is the, the Volkswagen IDR. Yeah. Go quicker up the hill than a Formula One car. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to assume... So now it holds records at the Nürburgring, Pikes Peak, and Goodwood. And Goodwood is kind of less official, but still pretty cool. But to have those three things under its belt, I think, you know, is really going to raise people's eyebrows and, and say, how far can we take this thing? Yeah. I mean, you've got to think that next year someone's going to try and beat that. Yeah. When a, a Formula One team will try and come back to beat that. But then it's also the pressure. What happens if they don't beat it? Yeah. So, I mean, that thing's real fast. Yeah. Let's not beat around the bush here. It's real fast. <laughs> I mean, how much faster can they go? I, yeah. I don't know. So it's, it's interesting. Let's say, let's say stuff like that gets spread down and supercars go electric or at least well, rely they more. They rely, yeah, rely more <laughs> on electric and their performance just becomes insane. And the cars, the regular cars that we drive every day become more electric. And okay, so how does that affect your driving experience? I think... Cars will always have like a unique character to them, brand to brand. I don't ever think we'll get to a point where you all cars drive exactly the same, where you can't tell them apart. You don't think we're going to get to the box quite yet? No, I don't think we're the getting people there. People box. I just watched Minority Report for the first time the other day. <laughs> that was really interesting because they did all look the same, but they were kind of cool too. Um, but I don't think we'll ever get to the point where everything's totally monotonous. Um, but let's say it does a little bit, like adding that much electric does take away from the driving experience. Like it does give you less feedback. Let's, um, I guess, I guess it's more responsive, but you know, it's just different. And I think that will probably continue to drive people back to like the old stuff. Like I don't want that experience. I want something that does deliver like an experience to me. Let me find something that, uh, is fun to drive from the nineties or the early two thousands or around that period. I think there will always be a contingent of people who like want to keep that alive and and want to have fun driving. Do you think that contingent of people are going to be then forced to obviously handle the premiums that are going to be associated with that? With the the older cars? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I I just I just don't see it going away. I just don't see like all this all this appreciation for car culture that we've built for like 100 years now at this point and is at such a fever pitch right now like i just don't see that going away like this how much we all talk about loving to drive and introducing more people 
to that experience and finding new ways to welcome new people in. Like, I just don't see that going away. And then what are your thoughts, and obviously on these numbers that say that people are always worried that the, the millennials are not getting their driver's license, they're not buying as many cars, they're not learning to drive as often. What do you think about things like that? So there's a lot of interesting things going on there. It's definitely true that millennials are waiting longer, and actually now post-millennials, so I think Gen Z is what they're officially called. Um, millennials are, I think, on the youngest in 23 now, so... You know, you guys, you guys can't just keep blaming us Which for us, everything. Basically. The pair of us, yeah, we're right. The millenn- we're, we're grown. We're, we're not even millennials, I think, at this point. <laughs> the post millennials are the ones you want to yell at. Mm-hmm. Yell at. No, I'm just kidding. But, um, but yeah, it's true. They are waiting longer to get their licenses and buy cars and all that. And so that's just part of the changing culture. That like we're, you know, things change. Like we're gonna have to deal with that a little bit. But when they are into it, they're no less into it than anybody else. In fact, um, I think they often think they're more into it. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. And um but there's a lot of things that happen there. Like like information or studies that I found said that driver's licenses dropped among people of all ages over the last 5 to 8 years I think it was. Um so, you know, we have to look at everybody. Like why is everybody looking at driving less? And I think there would be a lot of reasons for that. Like you have an aging population and so some of them just aren't driving as much anymore, and others like are relying on ride sharing or now the uh, micro mobility stuff with the scooters that are a huge deal around where we live in LA. Um, like that probably has an effect too. Um, driver's education used to be taught for free in high school here, and that's not anymore. And so that's another barrier. Like there's just all these barriers we keep and building. We haven't even mentioned the public transport where those have been improving as well. Yeah. Obviously is a big staple. There's that. Uh, there's was this little thing called the recession a few mm-hmm. years ago. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of things going into that. And to just look at all that and go, teenagers like smartphones, they don't like cars. Like I just think is so... Yeah, it's a bit... Yeah. It's a bit off, yeah. I might say. Like if you really want to talk about it, let's really talk about it. And that's one of the things I try to try to tackle in the book. But, you know, as we said, like when once they're into it, they're... they're probably more into it than anybody's ever been because there's so many different ways to find your thing. There's so many ways to find your niche, your kind of car, the type of build you like to do, or, or just go online and like watch a million Hoonigan videos in a day. Like you can do that too. And that's participating. That's part of it. Or you can have problems like I do. And then my automatic Craigslist searches that I've set up for certain (laughs) cars just hit me with all these options and I just can't decide. And then I'm in trouble because I've got so many options there. But look at, Bring a trailer is like the perfect example of that too. And now they're doing their own meets of owners mm-hmm. and that like sometime, I think they just did one this weekend that like included track time too. And so they're taking something that was completely virtual and bringing it back into the real world. That's interesting. That's there. There's a demand for that. There's a demand for people to connect online and then meet up in the real world and yeah. like enjoy these things together. Yeah. I mean, the idea of the, for example, on Bring a Trailer, you could be talking to someone about certain cars, even if you're not going to be purchasing that car, but share your knowledge and then yeah. being able to meet that person from wherever you are in the, the globe or the United States, be able to connect in person over something that you in both like is fun. Mm-hmm. Or if you meet someone that's got just as much of uh, excitement over something as you, then it's always nice to meet mm-hmm. that person. Yeah. Well, especially when you're hanging around people that are not quite that into it. Yeah. Yeah. So there's just so many different things going on that I find fascinating. That's that's uh, one small portion of it. I think video games are along the same line mm-hmm. too. Like the way that they hook people early. Yeah, and the esports is all coming yeah. into it, obviously, and yeah. then the virtual reality that plays around with those esports. 
I mean, it's pretty impressive. And then you've got over the see these these TV shows that are quite popular, like Top Gear and the Grand Tour that uh-huh. everyone likes to watch, and they obviously take all their jaunts in different kinds of cars. Mm-hmm. So it makes it more interesting. Top Gear, Top Gear, like was definitely one of those um, pivotal moments for like our age too, where like it just it just opened up a world of possibilities of like weird things to do with cars like obviously the supercars were fun to watch and stuff but like when they would go on these crazy treks or expeditions and stuff i think that really sparked a lot of the stuff that we see yeah. on youtube now it's especially i mean even i know that you just recently guested on matt barrow's smoking tire yeah and obviously his two all cars go to heaven isn't yeah. it one and two where they took reasonably priced cars that were probably not in the best condition. Yeah. But then went on essentially an adventure with them mm-hmm. all for a couple of days. Is that I think it was a couple of days, or was it a week or something? I can't something remember. Something like that, yeah. Yeah. And one of them was a Model T, one of them was a minivan. I mean there's all sorts of things. Yeah. Just the idea of you can go out and have fun if you want to. Yeah. Um You have obviously lemons racing. Yeah. Huge. Which is your obviously you everyone has a car under five hundred dollars, it's definitely under five hundred dollars and no one spends more than five hundred dollars <laughs> to win. <laughs> Isn't that right? That's the rules? Yeah, and I think, you know, that has also, like, gotten bigger and kind of more professional and arguably, like, bigger than they probably ever thought it would. And mm-hmm. so that's kind of opened up a lane for, I think, we'll eventually see uh, something to become the lemons of lemons at some point. Like, we'll see a, a series that that does that, that actually does do it in a in a really cheap way at some point, too. Um, but yeah, I just think, there's so much going on and you mentioned esports and the interesting thing there is like real teams are getting into it mm-hmm. uh, and real companies are putting big budget behind it as well yeah I mean maybe not so much for example on the automotive side but in other areas of esports yeah but I think the automotive side is, gonna, is catching up real quick okay I mean. so if so if people see money in this kind of stuff then we will definitely see it to grow mm-hmm. I'm curious as to how much money is being put into it right now like the some the video games are putting money into it. Gran Turismo, Forza, all that stuff. Formula One has their own game, and they just had, and they have every. I think now every real F one team has an esports team also. Yeah, and they just had a live draft for like their their annual draft to like pick their new players, and it was really interesting. I was watching it, and the first pick was like a guy everybody thought it was going to be, but then the second pick was a guy who had like qualified tenth overall out of like the 30 competitors and mm-hmm. i was like what the heck i was like that's weird and even the commentators were like this is a weird pick mm-hmm. and then the third and fourth guys were also like that and i was like okay video games were supposed to be like the great equalizer of like it doesn't matter how much money you have or whether you're being sponsorship or whatever like you're just fast and you get on but the fast guys were not getting picked <laughs> i was like are they are they more media savvy are they do I mean, they actually must, have sponsorship like there must be things that, are, that come into the fit into yeah. it. but and what i didn't understand but thanks to mitch no who was obviously a guest of the podcast mm-hmm. was how certain companies have their own like software that they use so for example hmm. race teams will have their own software that won't for example rely on say the big name brands here they've got their own in-house software that they'll use okay so the graphics obviously and might will be terrible compared to them very pixely but they get the tracks better for what they're looking for mm-hmm. so it's interesting to see how they move in different directions in that regard and so teams do their own thing of sorts which is unusual I would have thought I would have mm-hmm. but then it makes sense as well because they don't want to be sharing information all these other things that come into the propriety stuff and whatnot. that is interesting but um, um, but you know 
esports is starting to take off in general, like with the, the shooter stuff and all that. And so I think I think if you look at that, like they're selling out stadiums and mm-hmm. stuff like that. I mean, if you've got Las Vegas building yeah. sections, designating sections of a casino to an esports game arena. Yeah. I mean, you must be onto something good there. Because those casinos, they know a thing or two about making money. <laughs> they generally, they they generally, generally don't do something unless yeah. they're pretty sure. Unless there's going to be something in it for them. <laughs> Let's be honest here. Um, okay, so if you look at that and go, okay, well, we can do that for racing games. Mm-hmm. That's one way to look at it. But racing games are inherently very, very different from all that other stuff because there's a real-world component to it. Like, you can't take a, the best FIFA soccer player in the world and put him on Real Madrid like it's going to be a disaster. Yeah. But you can take the best F1 video game driver in the world and put him behind a wheel and see how he does in a, on a real track with a real car. Um and so like it's creating career opportunities for these guys to get exposure and girls, excuse me. Um to get exposure to possibly build real racing careers. Yeah, exactly. That's and it's completely also, unique to motorsports. Very much so. And also reduces the cost as well associated yeah. with it. Because obviously in the past, if you wanted to go racing, I mean, there's obviously been drivers out there that have been had exceptional talent, that have they've had families that have worked incredibly hard, harder than they could ever imagine and gone into significant debt and to get them in a position where they could rise the, the cream of the crop. And then you've had others where they've had, well, they've got a good financial backing from a family that's been able to help them out, which are two different ways about going about it. But... The idea of you can just play a video game and then that could lead you to those opportunities is also fantastic yeah. because the costs involved with that, you don't have to do the travel, obviously. You don't have to, you can focus on your, hone your skills at home. I mean, that's where the opportunities lie. I mean, yeah. we've seen it with the, obviously we use PlayStation with their drivers, Lucas Ordens and Jan Mardenborough, some of the drivers that have gone through their GT Academy. But I think there's other drivers that are coming through. I mean, recently... It's it's amazing. It's very impressive. McLaren has its own mm-hmm. uh, similar academy now. I think Shadow Project yeah. is what it's called. I think other teams will will do similar things too. Um, but it's also changing for real racing teams. Like you mentioned, the the lack of travel cost or you know potential repairs or injury. Mm-hmm. Like real racing teams are are relying so much more on simulators now for like practice between races. Um, for I talked to some people at Mazda Motorsports for the book and congratulations to them, by the way, they just pulled off two wins back to back in IMSA, which is really, really cool. Um, Jost? Yeah. I can yeah. pronounce it correctly. <laughs> is it Yoast or Jost? I, uh, I just say Jost. All right. I'm going to go with you. Whichever go. way. It's, it's, it was a fantastic I'm going to go with you. Yeah. I talked to people at Mazda Jost mm-hmm. and um, yeah, they were mentioning that they use the simulators to uh, like set a baseline setup for the chassis and suspension and stuff like that before mm-hmm. they get to a track. And, you know, they don't have to ship the cars and the drivers out to a practice test location and rent the track and risk breaking the car or injuring the driver mm-hmm. um, in between races. Like, they can handle all of that stuff. And it's not perfect, like, they... But it gives them a baseline to, like, and get, that's, get that's to the track. And that's what you start with. And then yeah. if you've got a baseline, then you can go in from the practice and then yeah. take it into qualifying and everything else. Yeah. So... There's just so much stuff that's influencing the way we're going to talk about cars, experience cars in the future. I'm just fascinated by all of it, and I just wanted to be a part of it. And so I'm just really grateful that people gave me time out of their day and in some cases gave me rides in their cars or showed me around or um, to to put this book together. I'm, I'm really, really and pleased with it. And that book is called Slow Car fast, the book is right? called Slow Car Fast. The subtitle is The Millennial Mantra Changing Car Culture for Good. I hope you guys like it. But 
now I want to dive back into your automotive history. Okay. So we can start where how you got into this whole thing. Um, I'm not like a massive uh, car guy in terms of like I've owned a million cars or like Ooh, or oh, raced and that's, stuff oh, like you that. You just got to get off now. That's it. Right? <laughs> so we'll just, we'll just end this podcast like, right here. I know that's a disqualifier, but um, yeah, I've just watched racing my whole life. My dad and uh, his his uh, friends and uncles and everything were really into IndyCar, so we always watched all the ovals. And So what year was that then when you were watching the IndyCar? So this was like early 90s, so and like the Unsers. And and so when's your dad, when you talk to him about it, he says, well, back in my day. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, he's he's down with everything. He 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 just loves cars, so he loves seeing new stuff and changing stuff. And um, But yeah, he was... They used to just go to Indy every year for qualifying, and you could just sit out there in the bleachers for mm-hmm. like the cheapest tickets and yeah. like just drink beer all weekend and watch qualifying. And so qualifying, so qualifying was all yeah, exactly. <laughs> qualifying was always their big thing because um, you can just go out there. But yeah, I, I just have always watched racing, and then um, you know, coming of age like in the late '90s, early 2000s, all of a sudden like there's this internet thing, and you could just find out anything you wanted, and that was just it was just transformative to me like i just spent all my time on car forums car forums were the thing they were the best man they were the Which best Which forums were you at, looking at i was then? on supercars.net mm-hmm. and i was on ferrari chat a lot mm-hmm. uh and then you had so many ferraris you and we were see. just all pretending that we knew everything about all this stuff but like <laughs> and i assumed everyone i was talking to was experts and i, I later later found out they were just 17 year olds like me <laughs> but it was but like you did share information and you saw pictures before uh they came out in magazines and uh it was just really really interesting thing and um and you got to find out about hooked. events as well and events and so there was always stuff to go to or there were always dealerships saying we're having this thing you should guys should come out and um so i just i just loved being around it and um uh i got a journalism degree from long beach state um and i wanted to go into sports and so part of i graduated with a journalism degree in 2008 which was not the greatest time to do that what do you mean what was happening in 2008 <laughs> around the world don't tell me it was a worldwide recession brought on by a banking crisis for failed mortgages no it's just millennials are lazy oh, okay that's, that's um, probably true so i had to write about every single thing i could get and so it was five or six outlets and 10 different sports and so racing and cars was one of those things and you know gradually there were more opportunities to write about racing and cars and there were than there were for the other stuff and so that's just what I started to focus on and I was happy about it because I just loved being around cars but I'd never thought that was going to be the thing I always thought basketball was going to be the thing um but I got some opportunities to freelance for road and track um made some connections there I had a a full-time job for a small company called Auto Media covering the industry and getting introduced to press loans and that magical world. Which is a nice thing there. Which have. is nice. Press loans are a wonderful thing. Which is nice. Um, that folded. So um, I was freelancing for Auto Bytel for a while. Um, and I had two pretty big pieces that were really important to me. I had one in The Verge um, about a Ferrari that was delivered, built specially by Pininfarina and delivered to the Sultan of Brunei. And he had six of them made. Because obviously you need six. Mate. You need, you can't just have four. No. Like a, like a schlock. And why not five? Five is just a bad number. Five is just a weird, yeah, it's six. prime. Six yeah. is where you want to be yeah, at. Six is where you want to be. Um, and so he had one of them sent to Williams. This is the early 90s. It was a Ferrari 512 um, M. 
And he had one of them sent to Williams because they had just started to put F1 gearboxes in their race cars, and he wanted one in this Ferrari. So it got sent there. While it was there, the Asian market crashed, so he wasn't going to take it back. So uh, Williams said, what the hell are we going to do with this thing? And so they made it available. And um, the Marconi Museum here in Southern California uh, bought it. And so it's there. So I did a deep dive on the history. I tracked down people who designed it, people who worked on it, people who work on it now, um, and just told the story of this crazy car and how it's the only one of these, they call it the Ferrari FX now, how it's the only one of those six that made it out of the jungle. The others are just rotten away in there. Um, so that story did really well. I had another one that did really well for Road and Track that was another big, long, deep dive. Um, and so that was received really well too, but they were hard for me to get, to get approval for, um, because they're, they're just different from like the regular automotive stories, content yeah. we're used to seeing, which is regular content as there's a new car being released or right. This is the potentially what this car might look like. Right. Stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but that was the stuff that I really enjoyed. And I thought I, there's just so many fascinating car stories out there. As you are well aware, you have a whole database of them here. Um, but I wanted to tell those stories, and so um, I figured I'll put together a whole bunch of them and, and put a book out on it. I was also at Trucks.com for the last two and a half years but um, and really enjoyed that. It was fascinating. I did mostly pickups and SUVs and covered uh, – it was more newsy, so we were covering like business trends and things like that. And you know the, the shift in buying preferences from small cars to, to crossovers and SUVs like is really, really fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, and what that's going to mean for the way that we drive in the future, um, I think is really interesting. Um, and I, I really enjoyed that job. I think it gave me uh, a ton of extra skills that I didn't have before as far as how to talk about economics and approach a story from that angle. I found really, really fun. Um, so while I was there, I was working on working on the book. And uh, unfortunately, a few weeks ago, we were talking about, you know, the industry can be a little bit fickle. Uh, and that opportunity went away. So now the book is here. Um, and and it's going to slingshot you onto bigger and brighter things, right? You know, I hope so. Uh, and more books. Yeah. I, I, I mentioned it was hard for me to get some of those stories approved. And so when I want, decided I want to write the book, I said I don't want to have to get approval from anybody. I don't want to have to explain this. So I started a publishing company so that I can just do it the way I want to do it. Um, and the point there is... I can I can write what I want to write. I can be in control of how it gets put out and where it goes and um, what happens in the future. But also, I there are so many talented writers out there in our world, in our, our little corner of the world. Um, I think they've probably got awesome ideas that don't have homes. And if this can be a place where people can bring their weird ideas or strange things or really interesting things that just aren't getting picked up for whatever reason... Um, and this can be a home for that. There would make me. There, there's nothing that would make me happier than to like encourage people to go after really, really long form stuff, um, and have fun doing it and put out something that's really high quality. I, I really believe that that this book is something different from what's out there and takes a different approach um, and looks at things differently. And I want to help other people do that kind of stuff um, that they're thinking of too. So. The company's called Carrara Media. You can can check that out too. And if you've got a crazy idea, hit me up. And then speaking of that though, what if, if someone hasn't 
just got a crazy idea where they don't know how to sort of pull it together. What is there any advice or tips that you can give them in how to, to go about doing things or trying to get into this writing space? Yeah, I think the most important thing is just start researching. Like, don't don't even think about writing. Like, maybe jot down a couple of notes on like what a table of contents might look like or something like that. But just absorb absolutely everything you can um, because in my experience like you're not really ready to write until you're just like filled with so much information that it's like pouring out of you like <laughs> when you literally can't contain it mm -hmm. anymore and it like needs an outlet like when, that's when you start writing maybe when a significant other is sick if you're talking to them about it all the time you're like well you really need to get this <laughs> like, down now listen so are you gonna make money on this thing or what yeah. or at least gonna stop <laughs> bothering me about it you're just gonna keep the dog's just like it. no just stop talking about it i've had enough look it's yeah fine. When the dog is like, get this thing out already. Yeah, when the dog like gets off your lap. I'm like, yeah. no, I'm just going to go to my bed. But yeah, I mean, that's a good rule of thumb. When you start to annoy your spouse, then give me a call. Or pets. Or pets. Or family. Yeah. Or um, friends at work. Then then we can start that's talking. That's just a normal day, friends at work. I mean, that's what it is, right? <laughs> but yeah, that's the idea. Um, there's so many interesting things that I like to read that are happening. Like, the, I think the world of um, writing about art and movies and TV food, wine, beer, like have changed so much. Like in the last 10 years, it's, it's just a completely different world. There's, there's so much interesting stuff out there on those topics and how they weave in culture and history and, and art and appreciation for all these things. Cars hasn't really had that moment. Sports have had it like Moneyball for baseball completely changed the way we talk about that sport. Mm -hmm. And in basketball, it's happening too. And, and I think cars deserves that, that moment. And, um, that's what I tried to do. I don't know if it does that, but that's what I tried to do. Well, I'm really looking forward to hearing you give the reading this weekend. Thanks, which, man. Which will be good. Uh, it'll be overflowing with people now. I'm going to literally be standing room only, I believe. I hope, yeah, I hope so. There's no chairs, so it will be definitely standing, standing room only. Room. Definitely. So that's the important thing. But so if people are looking to try and find you online, then uh, where is the best place to go to track you down and then track down the your lovely company here that produces this book? Yeah, the website is Carrara. C-A-R-R-A-R-A books.com um, It's also Carrara Books on Instagram um, and you can find my Instagram at Zoomy Z-O sorry Z-O-O-M-Y 575-M Forgot my own name there It happens second. It happens The pressure's on I mean Kiwi's, <laughs> Kiwi's staring you down well, Kiwi's to... tightening the screws over there Yeah yeah. Um, but yeah hit me up um, and those are the best places to find me no, right. It's been an absolute pleasure. It's been a real joy having this conversation. It's something a little different from what we usually do, but it's been a real, real pleasure. Yeah, thank you for having me, man. And I'm really excited to have you out on Sunday. And... No, no. Thank you so much. I'm really looking forward to it. And thank you so much for coming down here and being a guest. I really sure. appreciate it. For sure. Thank you again, everyone, for listening. As always, please try and sign up at least two, three, six. Six is the number Ten. now, right? Six friends. Six. Oh, yeah. We need another six That's other true, subscribers because yeah. six is a good number. However... With the reviews, at least 10. Definitely. At least 10. I mean, they only goes out of five, but at least 10 should petition iTunes that they need to increase that number to 10 just so you can give them to them and then say, no, we want to do 11 at this point. <laughs> like we turn the speakers, everything's up to 11. Um, if you've got any questions, you can always find us at No Breaking on Instagram and Facebook or at NoBreaking.com. That's N-O-B-R-A-K-I-N-G. Until then, guys, we'll see you next time.